Welcome to Indie Matters, the podcast from the Nevada Independent. I'm your host, Joey Lovato. And I'm reporter and producer Jacob Solis. This week on the show, reporter Daniel Rothberg talks with Caleb Cage, the former chief of the Division of Emergency Management and Homeland Security Advisor, who is now the incident commander in this state to help with COVID-19 coordination efforts. Later, I talk to Todd Colgrove, the director of the Carson City Library. He tells me what librarians are doing during this time where libraries are closed. And at the end of the episode, Joey and I talk about a few movies and shows that may have flown under the radar that we recommend taking a look at if you've run out of things to watch while you're stuck indoors. But first, let's give you an update on where things are regarding the coronavirus here in Nevada. The number of positive coronavirus tests is still on the rise. As of recording this podcast on Friday, April 10th, there are 2,576 cases statewide and 86 people have died. Those numbers will likely have increased by the time you hear this. As cases climb, Governor Steve Sisolak has once again tightened the state's shutdown order, closing down golf courses, banning in-home haircut visits, and calling off any religious gatherings on the eve of Passover and just days before Easter Sunday. But the ongoing shutdown and the virus that caused it are so far causing unprecedented economic devastation. Nearly 80,000 initial unemployment claims were filed in Nevada last week, bringing unemployment numbers to nearly 250,000. And with tax revenues decimated by the closures, state and local governments are bracing for steep budget cuts. Sisolak asked all state agencies to prepare scenarios for cuts of 4% in 2020 and as high as 16% in 2021, while city governments from Reno to Las Vegas are preparing for budget holes that, at worst, could be tens of millions of dollars wide. With all that said, there are some positive signs this week. Health officials in Southern Nevada say somewhere around 800 people have now recovered from the coronavirus, or about a third of the total infections. For our complete coverage of the coronavirus, including a live blog covering all the most recent developments, and a thorough resource guide if you've been impacted by the pandemic, head to thenevadaindependent.com. And now we're going to hear from Daniel Rothberg, who interviewed Caleb Cage, the incident commander here in the state. So I guess I first wanted to ask, we're hearing the word coordination from a lot of people. On a day-to-day basis right now, as the incident commander, what does that actually look like? Well, thank you. The, the, The word coordination as applied or operationalized means how do we get all of the different uh, organizations that are providing resources to work towards the same goal uh, of of meeting in in the state's position, meeting the governor's five goals, which, which he talked about last night in his press conference. It also means coordinating information, making sure that the needs from, from local and tribal governments are being identified and communicated to um, counties or to the state or to the federal government as, as appropriate. So it really is serving as, and this is what emergency management comes down to, it really means serving as a central point for uh, bringing together all of the pieces, whether that's resources or information, in order to meet uh, unified goals. So how does that work? There are so many organizations Governments, medical organizations, nonprofits that are trying to help in this effort to address the coronavirus, you know, what does that look like from your perspective? Are you guys creating like a big list and 
reaching out to each organization? Sort of what does that look like from kind of the implementation perspective? In emergency management terms, which is the only way I can really talk about these things coherently, it most of the work has to be done long before an incident like this happens. So it's about building relationships, building plans, building capacity prior to an event like this. Now, an event of this magnitude is so extraordinary from a historic sense or, or from, a, and from the consequences it's having, um, there's, there's no way to prepare exactly for this one in order to make sure everything is perfectly coordinated during what we call the response phase, which is what we're in right now. However, you can, you can really work towards that by, like I said, building plans, building relationships, building capacity beforehand. Now, what does it look like for us right now? It really means bringing together all of the partners who can contribute and finding the best role for everybody, making sure everybody understands the objectives, everybody understands the governor's vision, and making sure we're all rowing in the same direction. A large part of the focus now is on ensuring that PPEs and other equipment get to the people who need them on the front lines. How do you how do you actually determine who needs this equipment and, and what does that kind of look like from the point of the state receiving equipment or donations and, you know, dispersing it? So um, I'll take the second question first if I can. What, is it, what does it look like? So we have established a donation process. So we're not doing a call for action for citizens across the state to donate whatever PPE they may have. Uh, we would greatly prefer that that be distributed among their family and friends, especially if it's a small amount, because we really want to we really want to drive down the number of overall cases by um, ensuring social distancing, which I think is a, was a critical decision the governor made early on, and um, has uh, you know I believe had a tremendous impact on how Nevada has seen the manifestations of this virus. So. We want to provide an opportunity to allow people who have significant contributions to to make donations in a coordinated, safe, and healthy way. Um, we want to make sure that we're also using, so the second component is the state procurement and the federal procurement processes, as well as local and tribal procurement processes. So if, um, if a local entity decides that they need something, they can go through either regular procurement or emergency procurement processes in order to get that piece of equipment or PPE or whatever whatever they need or they can request it from us. So we have we have been ordering at the state PPE equipment otherwise. And then and then there's also um, the the private sector task force which is really doing some some large scale purchases right now. Um, all of that is being coordinated uh, at the state level right now and every day we're working in fact we're We've, we've developed a mechanism to coordinate those three resource procurement, donation, uh, and otherwise logistical functions, and uh, we're looking for ways to improve that every day. But we're really looking for how do we meet the needs that are being communicated to us, and, you know, if we have large-scale donations that are coming in, great. We'll distribute that throughout the state based on requests, uh, based on need, based on population. Um, and then to your first question, we're really developing we've we have developed rather a structure that says okay what are our, what are our critical needs right now and that's critical care facilities that's uh that's hospitals that are providing intensive care to um covid nineteen or coronavirus patients that's the that's where we have to do it uh where we have to put all the resources until those are met and then we can go down the tiers from there 
What can people expect right now from the activation of the National Guard? So that's a great question, and, and I've been on for about a week, and I, and I really I don't want to speak for the Guard and their mission, but what I will say is the activation of, of the National Guard uh, was, was intended to put some structures in place in order to, in, to help with the coordination process and to, to really manage this from the standpoint of what are our strategic objectives and how do we coordinate everybody to get there. Oh, I don't know if it's public yet where, where the, the, the deployments are, but I, right now I think what we're seeing is a small number, um, National Guard members in support roles throughout the state. That this is a, this is still being coordinated by the Division of Emergency Management. This is still being coordinated by the Department of Health and Human Services, uh, under the Department of the Military in, in order to, to make sure all of our efforts are, are working towards the same goal. I mean, what what is what does assistance kind of mean in terms of the National Guard? Will they be out in hospitals or? I believe that that right now, this what I mean by support role is is really providing that logistic support that I was just talking about a minute ago, and really supporting that mission. Uh, and and we're still working on the 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 paperwork with the federal government to get all of that lined up. But but that's where I'm seeing it. Is, is very much on the logistics side and, and that's frankly where I expect to continue to see it. So I, I want to be very careful. I'm, I'm, I, I don't want to speak for the guard. I think that, um, those are, those are missions and roles that, that, um, they can certainly speak to. So I asked you some questions about kind of the implementation and what you guys are doing and, and sort of how the state was prepared. But I am I'm curious sort of how you're tracking the real-time data and some of the projections. We're seeing lots of different models. The governor mentioned yesterday. How important are projections to the state's response? And, you know, a lot of people are looking at the peak right now, and I guess I'm curious how that how the peak is, if at all, correlated to how the state is responding. Based on my time here so far, I would say that, well, based on my experience in this response overall and then over the last week since I've been on board, data is extraordinarily important from a state perspective as well as from the federal perspective. And the problem is it's all uh, models are predictive in nature. They're intended to be used for prediction, and predictions are often – it's very difficult to use predictions for uh, data-driven policy analysis and so on. However, what I have seen – is a real analysis, and this is on a daily basis, real analysis by uh, experts who are able to choose models based on uh, what fits Nevada's current situation. So you can find models um, that, that put Nevada in a number of different scenarios over the next uh, weeks. And the, the trick, of course, is to pick uh, or is to, to assess these models based on what's actually happening on the ground in Nevada. And so given a little time under this pandemic and seeing the data as it's coming in, we can assess those models and determine uh, what which model fits closely to Nevada right now and base our decisions based on that. You know, you're seeing Washoe County and Clark County uh, build up their, their capacity for hospital beds and uh, you're seeing PPE orders and you're seeing 
all of these things happening from an organizational level and otherwise, and that is based off of the fact that this this simply is not going to be uh, an emergency that uh, like a like a uh, like an earthquake or something that happens quickly and is over quickly, and that's that's what the models have predicted. And every day we're getting refined, uh, we're getting data to refine those models and refine data, refine models is allowing us a better ability. To, to make decisions about what we need to do to make sure that we are able to continue to respond. So I know that's a long-winded answer, but the short answer is data is critical. Models are critical for us predicting what's going on. And also critical is the models are based on how well people are following the guidelines to stay home and to isolate and quarantine during this time. That is the from what I've seen, that is the single best factor for determining how we fare in the state, and um, it just cannot be reiterated and emphasized enough that that we've got to do we've got to do that. Stay home for Nevada, as the phrase is, in order to make sure that our model continues to be different uh, and lower than than what we've seen around the country and around the world. So, the federal government, how important is the federal government's role at this point in? responding to uh, coronavirus? I will I will always hold that a partnership with FEMA and the federal government through FEMA is absolutely critical to success to large-scale disasters. And I know that Nevada has an excellent relationship with FEMA. FEMA has been embedded in the State Emergency Operations Center uh, and bringing federal partners with them. They're critical to help support us with resources that we cannot get uh, on a daily basis. And they are, I, I have a high opinion of FEMA and their capabilities and, and work hand-in-hand hand with them and their staff in our office on a daily basis. So I, I think the federal government is critical, not just for the state, but for the 27 sovereign federally recognized tribes here who can go directly to FEMA um, without having to go through the state as well. I mean, are you seeing the resources that you need from the federal government? The the resource ordering is, or resource uh, procurement is definitely a serious challenge across the board, and that's true. If you go to your local grocery store and try to get certain items, and uh, or or in general, and that's because there's an increased demand across the system. I've heard up to 200% demand across the system. So um, are we getting everything we're asking for? No, and I don't believe anybody is getting everything they're asking for. But are we sourcing it in as many ways as we possibly can and including the federal government in those resource requests? Absolutely. Are you doing anything to monitor some of the mitigation efforts like the stay-at-home order and some of the other uh, business-related orders? The, is the state of Nevada or is emergency management doing that? That that is not something that uh, we we don't have enforcement or regulatory uh, roles in for the most part. So that is those are things that are being done at the local level. What we're monitoring is the outcome data. How is Nevada's model uh, the 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 model of our sickness and and acuity for this virus reflecting? Um, really strong adherence to those recommendations and those orders, uh, weak or, you know, somewhat average. So that's really what we're monitoring from a data standpoint, the outcomes. Well, I think that's pretty much it. I won't take up any more of your time. I really appreciate it. I really appreciate it as well. Thanks for what you're doing. You're, you're really helping us get the message out. And 
I uh, appreciate the phone call. Hi, I'm I'm Todd Goldgrove. I'm the director of the Carson City Library in in Carson City, Nevada. I've heard about people 3D printing like the face shields right around around the state um, mm. for for doctors, but I, yeah. I didn't realize that libraries were doing it. And so, are libraries like are yeah. there are 3D printers in public libraries around the state? Uh, there there are. Yeah, in fact, I'm as the former state librarian, I got to meet and go around the state and work with a lot of libraries. We've been we've been making the the face shields. And also working with the, 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 you know, 3D printing the face masks as well. Which libraries are doing that? Just like as many, whoever can do it in the state? Uh, a number of the li- number of libraries, if they can, they've stepped up and they're, they're trying to do it. It's, it's a mixed bag because it's, on the one hand, it's like, you're supposed to stay home. You're supposed to not be going anywhere. But how do, and librarians do try to follow the rules if they can. You know, but, <laughs> but how do we, how are we, how do we, stay at home, not break the rules while we still contribute to this and help out. So that I'm, I'm, it's not at all a joke to say that it, around the state, you've got librarians and, and folks associated with it that have printers all spread out around on the floor so that they can keep carrying this forward. And then they're uh, syncing stuff up. I'm just as proud as, as punch to be able to tell you that I just found out about an hour ago that the latest version of that file that folks around the country are using that are, that uh, that they're 3D printing to make this stuff. It, it, it's been clinically reviewed and approved by the National Institutes of Health. Oh, wow. So that file that everyone is doing right now is the file that was modified and created by a little, you know, our makerspace manager here in Carson City Library because it was one of these quick, rapid prototypes, right? You started with one and people started making these things and then someone made it better and someone made it better and the latest iteration of that make it better came right out of, you know, Carson city library. And so folks are printing those and, and so we're, that, we're, we're no files different. all over the United mm-hmm. States now and people are printing it. To my knowledge, it's probably all around the world, but I know for sure that's, that's the approved officially blessed version here oh, wow. in the U S uh, it turns out that the Carson city library and the UNR innovation center between the two of us, we have the three printers in the state that are able to 3D print these test swabs for the COVID-19. The collection thing. kits? Yes. And so the, the state is, uh, the state lab are who makes the kits, right? Yeah, they put them yeah. together and put them out there. They've got the test, the ability to process the test. But the critical path piece is where the heck do we get these swabs? You can't get them. Mm-hmm. And so the researcher here at the, the med school working with the state lab uh, reached out to the, the, the manufacturer of the 3D printers that, that is manufacturing these in rows and saying, mm-hmm. okay, I, know that we, I, I don't know if we, we can't get these right here, but could you make that file available so we could 3D print them? If so, what kind of printer does it have to be on? And it turns out that, you know, between the two of us that we've got the right printers and so we're about to start printing a thousand of those a day so that Nevadans can Get access tested. this. And pardon my, I mean, pardon my, yeah, exactly. Right. I mean, pardon my, my saying this, but yeah, I mean, it, you know, it's a pretty hot mess when, when in order to test people for this pandemic, 
the librarians are printing this stuff and making it go, and yet that's uh, you can't make it up. That's that's kind of where we're at. It literally plant, prints um, using a prints in resin. Mm-hmm. So if it make if this makes sense, what it does is imagine uh, you scrape a thin layer of of this resin across the surface of a plate, and yeah. then you flash a two dimensional image of what it should look like, and then lower it one scotch and then scrape some more of that resin on top, flash it again, wherever the, the laser hits the resin, mm-hmm. it turns it into a solid. Is this the one and that you so, kind of, it kind of pulls out of liquid? It's kind of rising up out of Exactly. It's, okay. It, yeah, you, you've seen are. that. It, it, look, it looks like, um, you know, that, that Schwarzenegger or the, the Predator model, right? Where it comes okay, yeah, yeah. rising <laughs> up out of this pool of liquid. Yeah. That's exactly what this printer looks like when it operates. And, and this, this printer, when it prints, is... Um, with these swabs, it prints, I think, each liter of resin will do about three prints. And each print takes about 24 hours mm-hmm. and and produces about 329 swabs. Okay. So between the two of us, we're able to, we think that we should be able to produce just shy of a thousand swabs a day, which is what the state lab needs to be able to be doing what they think they need to be doing right now. So outside of 3D printing, like what are, what is your library doing? What are you guys doing? What are you doing on a day-to-day basis right now? Well, what we've done there in the library, we've got three different uh, departments. The one is the creative learning department. That Those are the folks that are having workshops mm-hmm. that, uh, that, you know, generally bring people into the library. You might have story time in the morning where, you know, someone is reading a story and getting kids engaged with reading um, or you're having workshops in, in how do you do, you know, art, arty crafts or, or in book clubs and that sort of thing. All of that stuff we shifted online within the first week, and the engagement has just gone through the roof. I mean, literally, we're seeing far more engagement with those activities now than we've ever seen in the past. I mean, um, and what are these like these literally like a thousand percent just reading and and like reading a book on like are you just doing like recording a video and reading a book or well, even well you know story time is basically where someone has a a book and it's open and they'll sit there and they'll read because think like mr rogers you're reading a story to small children and you've got the book open and you're engaging with them and having activities mm-hmm. um because Story time is all about getting kids engaged with reading to begin with mm-hmm. and stories and, and kickstarting that imagination in your brain that happens when you read. Yeah. And then you take it to the next uh, level with maybe um, a book club sort of activity, right? Where, okay. where you've got folks that are all reading the same book. So the magic to make that happen requires making sure that everyone has access to that and that it's available digitally because you can't come into the library and get a copy of it. Yeah. I, I mean, I can imagine I was going to ask, you know, how, how is morale at the library? Like, how are people feeling? You know, have you seen, like, are people, obviously they seem very excited to like be able to help the community, but you know, how are you personally feeling? About They're thrilled. I mean, and, and you're right. Nothing makes a librarian happier than being of service. So mm-hmm. in a weird way, this is a tremendous opportunity at the same time. It's, it is difficult because everyone is isolated. And even though they're introverted, they still like to connect with each other and with their community. Yeah. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, so we've been, we, what we use in the library is, is Google Hangouts. And so we're all checking in with each other first thing in the morning throughout the day. And, you know, if truth be told, there's, there's quite a few, you know, dog pictures and cat pictures that go by <laughs> oh, uh, yeah. that, that uh, more, a lot more than you would otherwise see. But I think it's, it's a way that people are just, they each check in on each other and, occasionally someone has a reason why they've got to come in and it's like they're just so excited and in fact earlier today i was meeting with my managers and i was saying i i i appreciate that and it's great that everyone is that we're connecting but we've got to keep everyone healthy so we need to focus on our schedules to make sure that we're not encouraging someone to come in and hang out and say Hey, it's good old home week. You know, it's it's so good to see you. It's no, we're not there yet. We need to, <laughs> we need another month or so before we yeah. can feel safe with that. Yeah. The ugly downside of it right now is that realistically, all of us are saying the same thing, which is, okay, economic, you know, disaster about to unfold, and most libraries haven't recovered from the last recession, and it's like what do we do? And we're looking down the barrel of 40% budget cuts. Um, And, you know, part of my answer to that is you get the hell out in front of it and help people right now. You make sure that they understand how critically important the role the library is playing right now Mm -hmm. so that six months from now or two years from now, you've got a leg to stand on. But we'll see how that works out for us. Well, thank you so much, Todd. Appreciate it. You bet. All right, so I am here with reporter and producer Jacob Solis. Jacob, how's it going? It's going good. Good, and we are at the last segment of the podcast where we usually talk about, you know, new movies or do some trivia or something. And, and this week, you know, there's no new movies coming out because for the most part, studios have stopped producing movies. There are a couple that have come out on like Disney Plus and stuff, but generally not going to the movie theater to see new things. But uh, we figured that you guys have probably got like burned through everything you've wanted to watch on uh, Netflix or Hulu or whatever other streaming services you have. But we have a couple of recommendations that you might enjoy watching that are kind of under the radar. That's right. Some deep cuts here on the podcast today. Yeah. Um, I guess I, I guess I can start. Um, you know, Marriage Story was up for Best Picture, a Noah Baumbach film. Uh, if you haven't seen it, definitely watch that one. But I would recommend the movie he made before Marriage Story, actually, the Meyerowitz stories, um, starring Ben Stiller and Adam Sandler, actually, but definitely not a comedy. Um, it's not dark. It's definitely a light hearted but interesting family drama um and i i really enjoyed it it's actually my favorite noah Baumbach film and it's on netflix and sticking with oscar nominated or in this case oscar winning directors um bong joon ho's movies have been added to hulu this week so not only can you watch parasite which you know won the whole thing um but you can watch some of his earlier movies that are also very very good so mother and the host come to mind um you can also check out some of his movies on netflix um snowpiercer and um okja are both great movies um not super fun to watch, but very, very good movies in their own right. So if you're a film buff, but you haven't really watched a ton of Korean movies, very easy entry point in Bong Joon-ho. <laughs> I guess sticking with um, maybe not the funnest movies to watch, but I think an interesting movie nonetheless. There's a really weird indie uh, horror movie that I watched a while back called Motivational Growth about a guy who um, is stuck indoors. Uh, and so, you know, there might be some you can relate a little bit. There's also some very strange and trippy elements to the movie but the only place i can actually find that movie is on itunes so but it's only like two dollars 
So if you uh, want to watch a movie about a guy stuck indoors, that's uh, definitely a low-budget horror movie that's uh, definitely has some comedy elements too. motivational growth. Well, I'll, I'll bring some levity to this, uh, or not really. I guess it's a children's show. But if you have Disney Plus and you lived through the 90s, then you'll remember the TV show Gargoyles. <laughs> now that is on Disney Plus, and it slaps. So <laughs> if you have any form of nostalgia for cartoon gargoyles, just head back there, head straight back, still good. Um, if we're going to move to TV, I've got two shows to recommend. Patriot on Amazon uh, has a super generic name, but I really enjoyed it. A dark comedy about uh, a reluctant FBI agent uh, who keeps getting sent to Luxembourg. Um, <laughs> and the other show that I would recommend is High Maintenance on uh, HBO. Um, a friend of mine recommended this to me, and I just started watching it. Um, it's very poignant. It's funny, but it also has a lot of social commentary on it. Um, and it's just a series of vignettes, so you don't have to watch it in any order at all. I mean, I watched season four, episode one first, uh, and then I went back and watched season one. Um, I would also recommend starting with season four, episode one, if you're a fan of This American Life, as it takes place at This American Life. Oh, well, there you go. Yeah. Uh, well, I guess my last recommendation here, I am a... Uh, big genre nerd and so uh one of the best sci-fi shows on tv is the expanse and every episode of the expanse is on amazon prime and it is excellent i actually don't know of a, a better sci-fi show uh, probably the last good one was battlestar galactica so if you've been really hankering for some good science fiction this is it you recommended this to me last year and i i binged the whole thing it's very very good so i highly recommend that and then i'll yeah, just i end... think even if you're not into sci-fi you would probably enjoy it because it's just a well-made television show it is it's very it's definitely a political drama on top of a good sci-fi show um i'll just end with a very positive movie um if you're kind of feeling down and you want an uplifting movie to watch um the fundamentals of caring starring paul rudd uh, it's on netflix it's short it's very sweet you know it's about him being a, t- a caretaker to a, a disabled kid um, who's kind of uh, bitter about the world, but it, it's funny and it's it's great. So give that a watch. All right. Well, that well, well that does it for our deep cuts, Joey. Yeah, yeah. So uh, go, go enjoy those and let us know if you have any other recommendations for uh, movies. If people have run out of things to watch, but uh, Jacob, enjoy your social distancing at home. Oh, enjoy your social distancing also at home, Joey. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you for listening to this episode of Indie Matters. We'd like to thank Caleb Cage, Todd Colgrove, and Daniel Rothberg for being on the show today. If you like what you heard and you want to hear more, you can do so by searching for Indie Matters on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Play, or wherever else you listen. If you'd like to donate to us, you can find the Support Our Work page on the NevadaIndependent.com. We'd greatly appreciate anything you can afford to give during these trying times. If you want minute-to-minute updates on the situation in the state, you can also check out our website. And if you have comments, criticism, or praise, you can email me at jacob at thenvindy.com or joey at joey at thenvindy.com. And if you want to sponsor the podcast or an indie event, email editors at thenvindy.com. People with Bodies does our theme music, and you can find more of their music on Spotify or Bandcamp. Thank you for listening to Indie Matters. I'm your host, Joey Lovato. And I'm reporter and producer, Jacob Solis. And we'll talk to you next week. Mm-hmm.